Welcome to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. Welcome back to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. Hi. Hello, Lauren. You sound much more energetic than I do today. And how the much coffee? It's going to say how much coffee did you have? Only one cup so far, surprisingly. Oh, okay. When you say cup, do you mean, like, cup the measurement or, like, Like, I would say good eight ounces. Good eight ounces of coffee. Yep. Nicely done. I had a can of coffee this morning. Ooh, exciting. It was pretty good, but I don't think it was quite enough coffee. I'm going to need some more later. Yes, I will for sure need more later. (laughs) It's very important. (laughs) You've heard it first, guys. We are pro-coffee, <laughs> and we are not afraid to admit it. Yes. Our stark political stances. Stances, yeah. Pro-coffee. Well, we are talking about stalking again today. This stalking. is our part two. Part two of our stalking. Today, we're going to talk all about are victims or survivors of stalking, whichever terminology they prefer. Uh, mm-hmm. But also, I just want to point out something, Lauren, I don't know if you know this, but this is our 20th episode of Spooky Psychology. Oh, I didn't know! Happy 20th episode. Happy 20th, my dear. This is so precious. And so also, uh, in addition to our popularity in Greece, <laughs> hey Greece, <laughs> hey, Greece. Uh, we're also apparently top chart. We are charting in the top 100 true crime in both Turkey and Lithuania. I believe it's Turkey uh, and Lithuania, right? Yes. So, hey hey guys, hello to our listeners in Turkey and Lithuania. I know two people who uh, live in Turkey that I met in college, and I don't know if either of them actually listen. (laughs) Reveal yourselves. Maybe, maybe it's people that I know in Turkey. Uh, that would be cool. That would be fun. I don't. I think I don't... it would make the most sense, but you never know. But I don't think the two people that I know in Turkey is enough for us to chart in the top 100 <laughs> true. true crime podcast. I'm just curious if they listen or not. Um, but yeah, so we are we're doing pretty we're doing well good. in Europe. Yeah, in the U.S. we're doing pretty okay. Um, we've been able to stay in the top 200 of the social sciences, which is good, because I mean, pretty, there's so yeah. many. We're bouncing in and out, um, so that is pretty fun. specifically in Turkey, like, we were ahead of, get this, so we were higher than Sword and Scale. <laughs> oh my god. And Time Suck. Oh shit! And I this know. Is, and I love time suck. I know you do. I listen all the time. We're also beat. We also beat time suck in Greece. And like what? So Daniel Cummins, we're coming for you. We're and the, in for the you. in the European <laughs> podcast rankings, we're coming for you. In the United States, you are consistently doing better than us, and we respect Congratulations. you for it. <laughs> As if he totally listens to this podcast. Oh God. I mean, yeah, I saw that. I was like, what? That, okay. Right? It's strange. Like, I think that's the thing. It's not, for me, how high we're ranking. It's that we're ranking above some podcasts that, like, yeah, I have like, listened what? to for so long. Or that are, like, very, like, um, you know, like, nicely, like, produced. And, like, there's, like, technical people who go in and, like, 
do all this stuff, it's like, okay, maybe our Guy. content's just good. <laughs> Guys, those podcasts, believe it or not, have, like, audio engineers. <laughs> they have actual people with actual training editing their episodes. Also, just for any of our new listeners... Megan here. I'm the one who edits all of our episodes, and once again, I'm sorry uh, for all audio issues. I am learning this by watching YouTube videos when You're I have spare great. time. You're doing great. I'm proud of you. Thank you. So that's, like, something It's just so funny because some of them have, like, such a production value and have, like, real people who are actually trained in doing this. Right. And I'm like, uh, I'm reading a lot of, um articles and watching some youtube videos and occasionally and tim will will pop in and him pops his in expertise he used to record stuff on audacity i think that was a while ago um so he has some editing expertise which he brings to the table thank you very much to tim i mean ideally we need a steven at this point if you are Steven, if you are somebody who's really good at this and wants to help us, please yeah. message us. Uh, but we can't pay you. No, we can't pay you anything. No, sorry. That's kind of the problem. That's why, like, I I think in my mind, like, it would be wonderful to be a weekly podcast. But, like, there between, like, editing and research, there is absolutely no way the two of us could manage a weekly podcast. No. Like. If we got a Steven, different story. If we had but a Steven. we need to be getting paid for this. <laughs> we do. Uh, which which brings us to our, our Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> also, I am realizing that most people who have a Patreon actually do special stuff for their patrons. So, we're going to need to step up our game with some special content for our patrons. So. Well, we did have some like little like benefits. Like, if you're in a we certain do. tier. Like, yeah, like, just... You know, giving people a shout out, shout out to their businesses. But if there's like something that would be like a good incentive for you guys to join our patron, um, let us know. We're just like not super creative. I mean, I'm not super creative is the moral of the story. We're trying our best here. I know some will do like special broadcasts or like fan chats or other stuff. Okay. I don't know. We're just going to take this moment to stress that we really have no idea what we're doing. So thank you all for thank being for here anyway. <laughs> we are an amateur podcast. Yes. Podcast on the side. But that's okay. That's okay. We're doing our best. We're doing great. But yeah, so for this episode, let's, you know first start with like a massive trigger warning massive it gets bad it gets bad um so i know megan has read so we'll get into it but basically a big part of this episode is the victim and survivor impact and um people actually wrote in and they told us about their experiences with stalking which we are so honored and i haven't read them yet um megan has so you're getting my my reactions in real time um, but, you know, unfortunately, stalking is super prevalent. Um, you know, this may be hard for some of you guys to hear. Um, if you find yourself to be triggered, like while listening to this, you know, definitely reach out for some help. Like I said, this is very common. You're not alone. There's a lot of people um, who've experienced these sorts of things. 
And hopefully from these stories, maybe it'll help validate other people's experiences too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we're going to be going over some like stories that we were sent real stories. I just kind of put it out on a few um, different social media groups and social media platforms that I'm on and just asked people like, if you've ever been stalked and you want to share your story with the podcast, let us know. I got quite a lot <laughs> of responses. Um, unfortunately, I had some people who seems like they were going to send stuff in and I, I think just got busy or distracted and weren't able to send it. So, um, I mean, obviously, if people keep sending stuff in, we're always willing to do further victim impact of things episodes to include um, so a lot of, I mean, technically speaking, all of these stories that we will tell you, they're real. They're all they're real all people real. involved. Um, Lauren and I at the end will be talking a bit about some kind of popular cases as <laughs> well um, that have impacted celebrities or impacted legislature um, and shown the importance of this. So trigger yeah. warning for stalking, for rape, for um, harassment. I don't think any murder. No, I don't think so. I think we're murder-free this week. Um, so. so if this is too much, you can always skip it, come back later, or don't come back at all. There's no shame in that. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully, you know, just kind of like, I think a side effect from this episode, I think has been creating a platform where people can share their stories. And I hope this creates, you know, sort of like a healing space and just, you know, like a voice for something that doesn't get talked about very often. And if mm -hmm. you feel inspired to share your story, um, I mean, I think we are open to sharing more stories in the future. Yeah, we definitely are. Um, I'm super open to sharing stories. I was honored and kind of surprised by the response that we got. Um, because initially, you know, with stalking, I really wanted to showcase that there's so many different levels of stalking, right? And it's not that it's like, oh, this is light stalking. It's not that bad. But it's certain behaviors that may be normalized and maybe things that we don't even realize are stalking and how harmful they can be. So I wanted mm -hmm. to get real stories in the words of the people who have lived through them. And we got a lot. And because of that and because of some of the stuff that was said to me, we really, you know, wanted to do a whole episode just on this to demonstrate how serious this actually is. And I think in a lot of true crime podcasts, we talk so much about the perpetrators, which psychologically so important to study them so we can stop them, so we can figure out things and treat things. That's a really important piece of it. But the victim piece is really important too. Mm -hmm. So this is our stalking deep dive on how this impacts people who are stalked right. um and i read through the stories mainly mainly i've edited minorly um to remove names for the most part yeah, we um, don't want to identify anybody that you know right totally names. support your anonymity so i removed names and anything that seemed identifying and obviously i think i got it all if we get any I can always, I'll cut stuff out. So if there yeah. ends up being weird cuts in this episode where it just doesn't quite make sense, assume it was a name that I just cut out the name part in editing. Um, but for the most part, we're gonna read the stories as they were written to us. I'm not yeah. here to change or summarize someone's experience. Nope. So this is pretty much word for word what was sent to me. 
minus any names, and I think one of them was pretty heavy on the names because, you know, some people are just like, that's how you talk, that's how you write things, Um, which makes sense, but trying to remove them because we don't want, we don't want anything uncomfy. We, we don't want anything that shouldn't get out. Out? Yep. Um, and we don't want anything that would potentially put somebody at risk again of re-victimization. Yep. So we're going to keep it as vague as possible. Um, Yee. But. <clears throat> Alright, so I'm just going to tell you a bit about some victim impact stuff. So this is all from the Stalking Risk Profile. It's a group of researchers who have done a treatment manual called the Stalking Risk Profile, um, which they're working hard on. It's treatment for the stalkers themselves, but they have a whole section on the impact of victims. And I like a lot of their stuff because they've done the research and it really shows how deep some of this impact can actually go. So we're going to list some stuff. So, first of all, the emotional impacts can be things like uh, denial, confusion, self-doubt, and questioning if what's happening is unreasonable, wondering if they're overreacting. Mm -hmm. So that is often a side effect of gaslighting, which is where an abuser basically makes you feel crazy for questioning that this is okay. Um, Mm -hmm. So, again, if you look back to, uh, you know, our, our good friend Joe... Goldberg from the show you total Joe come on man total gaslighting right where it's just like well she's crazy to think this where it's really like oh like she's bothered by it can't you see I did this all for you because I love you like you drove me to do this to protect you to take care of you that kind of stuff um well and also the tendency in our society to minimize people's experiences Mm -hmm. and depending on how you grew up um maybe advocating for yourself or expressing yourself was super minimized in your household yeah and i mean especially if you think about how much minimizing you would get especially if the way your stalker is interacting with you is by sending you gifts yeah which uh gifts are nice not gonna deny that people like (laughs) gifts from somebody that you are willing to and accept a gift from is nice gifts on occasion where a gift is appropriate like a birthday wedding or like housewarming party those are appropriate times to get gifts um random i love you gifts from someone okay but yeah not from people you're not in relationships with relationships being friendship romantic whatever right it's weird yep but I've definitely heard that from some people. Like, oh, you're getting gifts. Oh, so sorry for you. Like, you're just getting yeah. free stuff. And it's like, nope, it's not okay. Well, and the way that that can feel um, is like, okay, well, I do I owe this person something? Because they're going out of their way to, like, give me this stuff. And it's like, no, you don't owe anyone anything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, such a tough one frustration obviously i can imagine there's frustration guilt embarrassment apprehension fear terror of being alone or that they someone they love or their pets will be harmed Mm -hmm. isolated and helpless like depression right yeah depression anxiety agoraphobia which is a fear of 
They say it's a fear of leaving the house. It's kind of a fear of it's being more complicated. out. It's more complicated than that. Um, kind of like fear of having a panic attack outside of your house and not having anywhere to go. Uh, difficulty concentrating, inability to sleep, nightmares, irritability, anger, homicidal thoughts, right? I can completely understand mm -hmm. why somebody who's being stalked is like, maybe I have to kill them, and that's the only way to get this to stop. Right. I don't advocate killing them, but I can completely understand how right. you would get there. Right. Um, emotional numbing, symptoms of PTSD, hypervigilance, flashbacks, being easily startled. Insecurity and inability to trust others. Problems with intimacy, per mm -hmm. especially if your stalker was somebody that you did date at some yep. point, can cause significant problems with intimacy. Personality changes, self-medication with alcohol, <laughs> drugs, or prescription medication. Suicidal thoughts or suicide attempts. Yep. So that's just the emotional part. That's huge. Yep. Um, and it's just awful. Right, and I imagine everything kind of gets amplified too if like people are minimizing your experience or like not helping you mm -hmm. um how you know you get to that place where you're having homicidal or suicidal thoughts or like i don't know how else to get this to stop if like for example the police aren't taking it seriously or my family is blaming it on me somehow yeah and as you'll see in some of our stories uh one of the themes in our lovely listener real person sent in stories is the police not listening and not doing anything yeah so we'll get into that we'll get into that we're just gonna throw that out there right and and again like you know with the homicidal ideation that's different than like killing somebody if they're actually attacking you that's like plotting to kill them again in self-defense it's self-defense in terms if they you know you're in a dangerous situation but you know, like, some of the plotting and stuff, it it can weigh so much on the victims of not seeing any way out yep. of the situation. So now into some of the physical side effects. Mm -hmm. I love how they broke this down. This is really comprehensive. Way mm -hmm. to go. Stalking risk profile. Um, fatigue from lack of sleep, being constantly on guard. Um headaches, hypertension, gastrointestinal problems. When you go into fight or flight, your digestion stops for a bit. Yep. And uh, the constant stopping and starting of your digestive tract, believe it or not, can cause some issues there. Yep. Uh, fluctuations in weight due to not eating or comfort eating, uh, development of or exacerbation of pre-existing conditions, asthma, gastric ulcers, etc. Any chronic illness that you have pretty much will get worse with stress. Yep. Stress does not make it better, ever. Nope. Dizziness, shortness of breath, impact on he the health of due to alcohol, drugs, cigarettes, if you are using substances. Um, again, sexual dysfunction, physical injury due to not concentrating, uh, mm -hmm. heart palpitations, and sweating. Yep. Um, there's also for, you know work and stuff, effects on work and school, deteriorating school and work performance, increased sick leave, changing careers, dropping out of school. Um, sucks so bad. Yeah, social life, there's 
and insecurity and inability to trust others impacting on current future relationships, problems with emotional intimacy, avoidance of usual activities like going to the gym, going out. Um, obviously, if you're afraid to leave your house, you're probably not going to go meet up with your friends very often. Mm-hmm. Um, isolation through trying to protect others. It's a big one. Feeling misunderstood. Um people withdrawing because they don't believe the victim they're unable to cope with the victim's mental state or due to third-party victimization um Mm -hmm. if your stalker is threatening your loved ones your loved ones might stop talking to you yep um and then the victim moving to the area moving is common um that brings us into like the financial part too loss of wages due to sick leave is a big one or loss of job costs incurred through legal fees going through the legal system is very expensive and Um, just emotionally draining yeah absolutely expensive increasing home and personal security if you're getting a security system of some sort you do typically have to pay for that yourself um costs in repairing property damage if your stalker is breaking Mm -hmm. windows and stuff you got to replace your windows or replace Um, locks and bolts and yeah all that stuff Seeking counseling and medical treatment. Counseling can be costly. Yeah, Yeah, depending on if you have insurance and what it covers. It can get very expensive very quickly. Um, Luckily, in the States, there are lots of agencies that do provide free counseling to victims of various crimes. And you may be eligible for compensation. Right, Um, especially um, domestic violence shelters, for example. A lot of them, mm -hmm. this is not well known. Um, provide free outpatient services for victims of stalking they do so if you are stalking victim feel free to reach out to your local domestic violence center and see if they can help you out they may have resources or free counseling or other services or free legal services they do often have free legal services as well and can usually help if you're trying to file an order of protection they can usually help you with that too or even, for um, like, for example, the one that I worked at for a while, they um, had people from the legal department, like, they'll go with you mm-hmm. just to support you and sit by you during that process. Yeah, because court is difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also expenses related to relocation or breaking leases, mm-hmm. right? Like, I know if I want to break my lease early i have to pay like two thousand dollars to break the lease so like a lot of leases have clauses that you have to pay a significant amount of money um and obviously not every person who is stocked will have all of this but this kind of shows just like the variety of impact it can have in so many areas of people's lives like yeah that you may not even think of but a lot like some of the stats we talked about last week like a lot of victims of stalking lose a significant amount of income from not being able to work right during days when stuff happens if they have to take off to deal with the police they have to do all these things it's it's quite a lot or just taking sick leave because you're so stressed out absolutely and and just like that connection too that you had mentioned megan about like um how like the emotional piece and the physical piece go hand in hand um just like you said like in fight or flight your digestion shuts down you're not able to sleep like that affects everything um and it exacerbates pre-existing conditions that you already have right if you're not sleeping well nothing will go (laughs) like that's kind of the basis of 
things like you have to sleep well to function well as a person and you have to like sleep and eat and if you're in a position where you can't sleep and you're not hungry and all of this stuff it's gonna create this really vicious loop of you getting sicker and sicker and sicker yep which is the importance of getting help and you know i i don't think we can stress this enough like people who are victims or survivors of stalking like this is so valid to be so um affected about these types of situations because really it's upsetting your basic level of safety and that's so fucked up like no one should have to experience that Mm -hmm. that's one of the basic things that we as people need is that feeling of safety somewhere and it really impacts every facet of your life if you don't have that basic feeling of safety yeah so really like you know it's it's good that we're talking about this and i hope that you know people who maybe have shamed survivors before or not really thought about this like on a comprehensive level you can you know see better how this impacts so many things mm-hmm Yeah, and it's important to examine your own behavior and realize that you may have made a mistake and said something insensitive. You might have done something that you, you know, don't think well. Like, I honestly, like, even Lauren, with your story from last time, I don't remember how I reacted to that, and I may have reacted like, was I was... I was was totally validating that you were one of the few people who were just like, yeah, like, that's, like, pretty weird and i don't think it's cool that people are like supporting this behavior cool i was like i genuinely don't remember and i want to make sure i'm like like if i did no i'm sorry i made a mistake you've always been good with all my emotional things (laughs) lauren and i are very emotionally connected if you guys did not know that also slightly the same person yes basically we're gonna start we're gonna start a commune it's gonna be great it's gonna be great you may be invited if you're (laughs) if you're a spooky peep that's a patreon tier (laughs) (laughs) the patreon tier of joining our commune will basically be all of your money and then we just turn into a straight up cult so perfect perfect it's all coming together um beautifully beautifully right and and it's just like look at your behavior you might have hurt someone accidentally right i think a lot of times when we don't respond well we're coming from a place where we just don't understand like on paper some stalking experiences might you might not be able to understand why it's so upsetting to the person but you need to understand that it is you don't have to understand why well and the the other part um that I think is important uh, just like from my anecdotal experience is just that I remember I talked to a friend like years later about the person where I was having issues with them stalking me and this individual did similar things to my friend and like other women on campus and clearly this is like a behavior that has been repeated so the like the importance of like validating our experiences and like being like hey like let's confront this person so they will stop doing this to other people and even uh with my experience that i shared as well and i'm not gonna go too much uh into detail about this situation uh 
But even then, the whole like, oh, he's just nice. Oh, he just likes you. I found out several years later that I was not the only one. And that right. uh, based on actions that he did at a later date, uh, right. I definitely had every reason to be afraid of him. He was someone to be afraid of. Right. And when you get that gut feeling, and if your friend gets that gut feeling, you have to support it. Um because I had so uh, just you know whoever's listening you know we have to support each other we have to look out for each other this is the whole meaning of community Mm -hmm. and our spooky community we gotta gotta stand up for each other and stand up for all of the people who are going through scary things or have gone through them before and are still just fighting to find their way through it yeah you don't have to go through scary things alone we're here for you we are, we are muy fuerte. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's what that's what Nick always says to me. He's always like, "You're muy fuerte." I was like, "I know." That, does that mean you're hot? No, that means you're strong. Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. Why would I? <laughs> that's that's why I was confused. Cause yeah. I... Oh, you're thinking of fuego. Yeah, I was. Th- I was. I was thinking of fuego. Sorry, guys. It's my, okay. Uh, my high school Spanish that I stopped taking approximately 11 years ago has not, 12 years ago, 12 years ago, has not stuck with me over time. We're I know learning, we're growing. Language. If you signed it, I would have known what she meant. We are fuerte, not fuego. <laughs> we're also fuego, but we're, we're not going to tell you guys that. <laughs> <sighs> okay. All right. So well, now. Let's... Let's create some space for our survivors then. All right. All right. I'm going to read you guys the first story again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We are so honored for the people who felt comfortable writing in. Yes. Thank you guys. All right. So story number one. Um, So this person says, I casually dated this guy for a few months and found out he had been accused of rape and was very dodgy when I tried to talk to him about it. it. I ended it. And he didn't take it well. He would show up at my house and leave gifts on my front porch or in my mailbox, including $50 cash and a scrapbook. He would text me constantly in the typical, I hate you, I love you, fuck you, I'm sorry, you're a slut, Luke. This went on for months, and I found out that other girls had the same experience with him. I tried to file a police report, but they said they couldn't do anything. Like six months later, after he finally stopped showing up at my house and texting me, he sent me a nude photo of myself. I guess as a way to say he still had them? I haven't heard from him in about a year, and I've moved since then, so hopefully that means he's moved on as well and maybe gotten some therapy. Ugh. Yeah. How terrifying is that to, like, six months after someone stops this behavior to just send you a nude picture of yourself? To me, that's really threatening. Yeah, that's terrifying. What a... I am so sorry you had to go through that. And, you know, not to, like, shit on police, but, like, in this situation in particular, you had enough evidence, absolutely, to get a restraining order. I'm so confused. And, unfortunately, uh, the theme of fuck you to the police keeps going because I think almost every story that is mentioned the police is mentioned that and they didn't do anything so I'm going to rip my remaining hair out but let's keep going (laughs) right okay 
Um, so a few years back, I went on a, a few dates with this guy who was working very hard to woo me. I love the use of the phrase woo, woo right? Love okay. that. I don't love what this guy's doing, but I do like this writer's verbiage, so thank you. Yes. Early on, he wanted to pick me up from my apartment and drive me everywhere, asked me every time we went out together if I would stay the night, etc., but I turned him down most of the time as I had a dog to take care of at home. Finally. Very responsible. Right? Dogs are, like, a great reason to go when you're just, like, tired. Be like, I need to go take Blame care it of on my your dog. dog out. <laughs> it works for pigs, too. Like, the it pigs does. need me. They need Gotta me. Gotta go. Um, finally, we went to a baseball game together, and he asked me if I'd ever want to get engaged at a baseball game, which I immediately rejected. This was only, like, our fourth date. Megan, describe my face right now. Uh, Lauren's face looks both disgusted and alarmed. Okay. It's, uh, <laughs> that's really what we got just, just for our, <laughs> make this an audio-visual experience where we'll share Lauren's face. Um, Okay. And he spent the rest of the night trying to reopen the conversation about engagement getting married. I insisted on taking the train home after the game, and while on my way home, sent him a text indicating I felt a little overwhelmed by his line of questioning, and he felt and felt in many that he in many ways was trying to rush the relationship, so I thought it was best if we didn't see each other again. Word. This text prompted a whole night of him sending repetitive phone calls, texts, and messages on miscellaneous social media to get a hold of me, to the point where I started telling friends and blocking him everywhere. Ugh. Fast forward a few days, and I'm on the bus on my way to work. This guy lived along my route to work. He saw me on the bus, chased the bus, <gasps> got on at the next stop. I was oblivious to this until he was on the bus and would not leave me alone despite myself and several strangers around him trying to get him off the bus. He <gasps> kept saying I'm the only girl for him and begging me to see him again. Oh my god. Right? Yeah. Um, eventually, we're getting close to stop and I'm scared to get, to get off alone. So I went to the front of the bus and asked the driver to please help me get this man harassing me off the bus. Thankfully, the driver forced him off the bus at the next stop and offered to take me directly to work himself if I stayed on to the end of the route. I did, and the driver kindly took me to work an hour later. Way to go on this bus driver who's like, I will drive you directly to work because of this. You need to send that bus driver a present because, like, what an awesome, like, that's a hero. That's a hero right there. Um, the same day, I tried to press charges with the police department, but was laughed off and told I didn't have enough to get a restraining order. Yeah. I told you it was a theme. I'm gonna rip my hair out. Continue. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Lauren will have no hair by the time this is gone. (laughs) She's starting on her eyebrows at this point. It's just gonna be- They're gone. They're gone. R.I.P. Lauren's hair. Um- I changed my route to work for the next month because I was too scared to get on the same bus. Then several months later, homeboy does the same thing. Hops on the bus, proclaiming his love. This time, I fucked politeness and punched him straight in the face. I haven't heard from him since, since it's been over a year, so I'm hoping it worked. You know why? Yeah. I don't blame you at fucking all. Right? I think you are fully justified to punch somebody in the face whenever they're chasing you onto a bus uh, and stalking you by all means. I believe uh, they also told me that they, they got off the bus right after they punched him in the face so they did not see like what the aftermath of punching him was. Uh, so they punched him and just noped out of that situation and Good. 
way to uh we're very pro fucking politeness yes Uh, fuck politeness right you do not have to be nice to people who are not being nice to you you do not have to be nice to people who are violating your safety and your emotional well-being you do not owe them anything punch them in the face if you need to get your point across i I, absolutely and and i'm just it makes my heart warm to hear that like as like a community like the people on the bus were trying to protect this person Mm -hmm. and that you know the bus driver was like yeah this this dude is fucked up like i'll literally drive you to work right and the thing is like if you see someone looking uncomfortable say something say something do something i know one time i uh was at a bar and I saw a girl looking really, really uncomfortable. And so I just pretended I knew her from math class and was like, oh my God, I haven't seen you in forever. And literally pulled her away. Um, yeah. Because it's just like, sometimes it's just like, hey, let me talk to you. Do you need help right now? You seem really uncomfortable. Apparently they were just fighting with their boyfriend and were totally fine. But they're like, thank you for coming, right? Just check. Just check in with people if they seem uncomfortable. And I'm so glad that, like, the strangers stepped up, the drivers stepped up, that people yeah. are trying to come around this person. Because, yeah, somebody like, you're the only girl for me, and proclaiming their love for you on the bus is just Like, uh, clearly you have some, like, impulse issues. Like, mm-hmm. get a grip. Yeah. Ugh, that was terrible. But we'll continue. Yeah. Okay. This next story. Oh, God. This is off to a bad start. Um, (laughs) Yeah, this one's not great. Um, And I think you can leave out some of the stuff on the layout of the... the, They were like, I can send you a screenshot of the neighborhood if the layout doesn't Mm -mm. make sense. I'm like, I don't need it, but thank you. I'm like, we'll figure it out. Just to protect your anonymity. Yep. Yeah. All right. But I appreciate that they're trying to make sure that their description makes sense. Totally. Okay. So when I was in sixth grade, my best friend and I would walk home from middle school together. She lived down the block from me, so we'd walk to my house. Then she'd walk solo to hers. We lived maybe a ten-minute walk from school. One afternoon, we started our walk from home and turned down our block. My house was the first house on the block, and the way our neighborhood was situated, another street essentially dead ends in my driveway. As we turned down my block, we noticed a red sports car parked across the street from my driveway but facing directly like it was about to pull in the driveway as we got closer a tall man in a beige trench coat never good never it's like nope out right there yep in a beige trench coat got out of the car walked onto my driveway and placed something on it at this point my friend and i were maybe two houses away so we couldn't see who it was the man turned and got back into his car but didn't drive away we got to my driveway and looked closely at what he put down. It was a Polaroid of his junk. Yep, a total pedophile. Mm-hmm. At this point, my friend and I were just grossed out and chose to ignore it. Keep in mind, this perv is still watching this. Ugh, God. I went up my driveway and opened the garage. Looking back, this was a big mistake. My parents both worked and there was no car in the garage, so this perv now knew that I went home alone after school every day. Fuck. My friend walked to her house, and that was it. I'm not sure if he followed her, but based on the fact he was outside my house makes me think he was after both of us, or just me, and had to have been watching us for a while to know our walking pattern to get home. The next day, we realized the photo was still there, buried under a bit of snow, so we brought it into the house to tell my mom. Good. This story, all because my driveway was the elementary school bus stop, and we didn't want the younger kids to see it also makes me think 
about how women are always trying to protect others. Totally true. Mm-hmm. Anyways, all that to say, I'm pretty sure this man must have been watching us for a few weeks to know where we live, what time we'd be there, etc., etc. Nothing ever came from it, and I'm sure the perv is still out there stalking other kids. Few mouthful, but let me know if you have any questions or if I can elaborate on anything. Oh my god. Yeah. I mean, I'm- first of all, you were in sixth grade. You are a baby. That is disgusting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, that that goes back to the whole you can be stalked and not know it because if somebody like you had to know when they would be there to orchestrate that and to like Mm -hmm. be there to get the response. So horrifying from start to finish. So I'm I'm glad that (sighs) nothing more came of this. It's terrifying as it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I think that has to be a conversation that, you know, we have with our children that if any adult does something that even makes you feel remotely weird, tell me right away. Right? Like and I think that's the thing is like leaving a Polaroid picture of your genitalia is not something that a lot of people cover in their uh, safety talks with their kids, but you nope. should always include pictures. You shouldn't be seeing other people's private parts or seeing pictures of private parts. Uh, loop it in there because kids don't always know like why, what's wrong. Like It can be really confusing for them, but it is so, so, so important to loop it in there. And obviously, you know, taking a second to and explaining like, like your reaction to it. So like, let's say I had a child and they told me this exact story, you know, it'd be important for me to say, you know, I'm not upset with you. I'm proud of you for telling Mm -hmm. me about this. I am just so upset that this person did that because that's so wrong. And so really identifying like to your child, like you're not doing anything wrong. No one's upset at you. You're not getting in trouble. Absolutely. And I'll just throw this in there here and you guys can tell us if this is something you're interested in or not. But Lauren and I have an entire presentation that we've done about preventing child abuse, identifying and talking to your kids about abuse. So if you would like us to record that as a special episode um, to help you guys learn how to keep your children or just the children that you know in your lives, either in work or your personal life safe and identify who might be being abused to talk about it and how to talk to your kids about stuff like that if you want that episode let us know we will we can record that totally totally all that information is so important it is it is Um, but thank you for sharing this with us um writer (laughs) thank you right i don't know what to call them i'll just call (laughs) them a spooky peep writer listener spooky peeps uh, pretty much all of them so that they're like I don't think a lot of the people actually listen to the podcast That's okay. but they're like well they'll maybe listen so yeah this is not just from our audience these are just people in from various in places online I was able to who sent me stuff so thank you to you all thank you um, so this one for context this takes place in I wanna say the early 70s Late 60s, early, well, 60s or 70s, somewhere. So this is, a, this is an older story. Okay. Um, so, we had a creepy old man for a neighbor who would walk in front of our house and stare at the house. He would also go back to the dam, I guess there was a dam behind the house contextually, stand back there and stare at our house. I don't Hell recall no. if my dad spoke to him or not. 
So the writer and the sisters in this story are all like preteen or teenage girls that this old man would stare at when he walked around. Uh, one weekend, mom and dad went away and our grandma came to stay with us. My sisters were upstairs in their room, rolling their hair in curlers, which gives us some context clues for the age Very of this. wholesome. I love also, it. Also, so, so wholesome. Two sisters rolling their hair together. Isn't this so nice? It's about to get much less nice. Oh. Um, when my oldest sister, sp- like, spots a man's face in the mirror, they both screamed so hard running out to tell grandma who was in the kitchen um also said grandma was a spunky little thing which is the best description i've ever heard of someone who ran out on the porch grabbed dad's rifle cocked it outside she would have blown him off the ladder if she could see him in the dark the screams must have made him get down awfully fast Needless to say, we were shaken by the event. Old story, but creeps lived back then, too. Um, so Holy not only, shit. So basically, creepy old man neighbor had been walking around to stare at the house, and the girls realized that the parents were out of town, so got a ladder and just climbed up so he could look in their window, not really realizing that Grandma was a badass who will shoot him, so... Didn't actually shoot, but did chase him off with a rifle, which, uh... That's so, like, voyeuristic and strange. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, God. Right? But, I mean, even think about that, like, you know, walking around the house, scoping it out, maybe figuring out the layout, probably knowing when the parents go out of town, like, creepy on all levels. So, so creepy. I hate that. I'm so happy that, like, no one was alone, like, when this happened, though. Yes. You know? Yes, luckily they were well supervised um, and saw him quickly, like, while they were still rolling their hair, so saw him quickly, and luckily he had a grandmother who was ready to defend the children. <laughs> that's I also love that grandma. I know, right? That's also, like, a little, uh, that's, like, peak old school 60s like grandma's especially in a more rural area like grandma's just gonna chase you off with the rifle we have for protection it's like all right grandma is grandma Grandma, it's go time (laughs) grandma's keeping her baby safe she's like not today my granddaughter's keeping him safe so she chased him off amazing i think we just need to like arm houses with little grandmothers (laughs) just in case (laughs) just a grandma that loves and cares for you so much that she'll chase men away with a shovel if need be like that's that's the vibe that we need more often because that is something i've heard in so many older stories it's just like until somebody grabbed you know the shotgun we had for hunting or the shovel or a rake or something who starts chasing people off um incredible love that grandma love that grandma thank you spooky peep okay got another one all right okay so why does this keep happening in sixth grade okay anyway (laughs) sixth grade is apparently a popular time for stalking incidences somehow like that's the things we're learning today yeah okay poor sweet baby angels at sixth grade you are a little not a literal baby, but you're so young. You're, you're a baby. You're an infant. <laughs> Still an infant. Sorry to our sixth grade listeners who should not be listening. Stop listening. Probably. <laughs> okay. So 
so my story is from when I was in sixth grade. So I was like 11 and a half at the time. And this was 23 years ago, which is basically ancient history nowadays with the laugh There's lots face. of emojis in this one, which I appreciate. Frequent, I do too. Frequent laugh emojis. When I started sixth grade, there was another student, a boy, who I had gone to elementary school with, but never really talked to. He started stalking me shortly into the school year by doing things like writing me notes, following me around the school, coming to my house, etc. He got my phone number and address from the school directory. Oh, shit. I forgot about those. Remember when they used to just give everyone at school your home address and phone That's number? That's so dangerous. Right? No. Okay. Not at all. Well, we're going to come back to that. Um, <laughs> the school directory. Uh, okay. Which every family was still set in those days. That listed the home phone number of every student at the school if you opted in. Since this was the 90s, I don't think anyone really understood yet that that was problematic. <laughs> They're really this... covering all of our points here. Uh-huh. We're in sync with this writer, like, they yes. guess. This boy would call my house up to 20 times a night and just breathe into the phone. Oh my god. It got so bad that we got caller ID. Seriously, this is how old <laughs> the story is, Lappy Face. <laughs> to help screen the calls. I think maybe one or two times he actually asked for me, but then when I got on the line, he did nothing but breathe heavy, which was terrifying. My parents never involved the authorities, probably because they felt that he was a troubled kid, but we did tell the school and the social worker for our grade. Oh, good. I'm glad that you guys, you know, did talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. um, but holy cow, I forgot yeah. about that. Right? And there, yeah, there's, so there's, conti this continues on the next slide, but yeah, I do remember getting everyone's home address, and, like, it's such, like, a weird, even, like, the fact that phone books used to just, like, have people's home phone numbers and addresses in them. Very so uncomfortable. Them okay, up. so there- and I'm like, nope. Nope. Okay, so this, there's a part two to this. Sorry, I didn't see it. Okay, so I think he had some problems he was dealing with because the school social worker was already working with him. But I also had to talk to the social worker as well. He, the social worker, honestly was never really that helpful to me. He assured me I wasn't in danger and to let him know if the boy was continuing, but no accommodations were ever made to make me feel more comfortable. The kid was in my homeroom class, so I saw him every day and had to sit near him, and even though the school knew he was harassing me, they never did anything. It was, oh, he is harmless, just a trouble, just a little troubled, you are fine. I think the scariest thing for me was when he started showing up to my house, yep. We lived a few blocks away, and he would walk over and try to get me to come outside. One time, a neighbor boy of mine rang our doorbell and tried to get have me come outside. My stalker had paid him $10 to come out there and was apparently hiding by my garage door. What the fuck? I refused and stayed inside with the door locked. Good. Everyone kept telling me it wasn't a big deal, but I was terrified for like a year straight. At the end of sixth grade, we had a school dance and our teachers told us if anyone asked us to dance, we had to say yes so people wouldn't get hurt feelings. Oh my god, this is I so problematic. I remember getting told that too. Okay, we're going to come back to that. Um... I asked my teacher directly if I had to dance with him. She knew all about the history of the stalking, and she flat out said yes. <gasps> so, of course, he asked me to dance, and I said yes because I had been told to. He was super creepy and touchy, and it was probably the scariest three minutes of my life to, of my life to then full-on panic attack. I think he switched schools or maybe went to an alternative school for the rest of middle school because he was not there 
but the next year, and then the stalking stopped. I learned later after he was gone, he had been stalking a few other girls, but no one as much as me. The school knew all of this and never did anything to help us or support us. I honestly think this has had major impact on my life and made me too accommodating to situations that are dangerous. I have been raped twice, oh sweetie, and sexually assaulted, harassed numerous times. And this early experience, I think, made me feel I had just to take it when I'm threatened. Mm-hmm. Stalking is terrifying, bottom line, even if it never escalates. It's not okay to tell someone they are not in danger or it isn't a big deal. I can't imagine now telling my two daughters they have just they have to just suck it up. I would raise hell or pull my kids out of school if this happened to them. I just wish everyone felt the same. Oh my god, this is so fucking sad. Yeah, and you know, I kind of like debated on where to stop that, but I just like the point that she makes at the end is so important of like there kind of is that and especially if you're told you have to take that and i remember being told that at like fifth grade dances like you just have to dance with it was like the same thing as you have to get everyone in your class a valentine or invite everyone to your birthday party right where it's just like it was really trying to not to hurt feelings but again like teaching kids consent starts way before conversations about sex it starts with not forcing your kids to hug people because they're allowed to say no right and And this is this is very physical being like oh you have to dance so you're giving this person permission to touch you like Mm -hmm. no hell no absolutely not and you know you don't have to dance with anyone. You don't have to hug anyone. You don't have to no. shake anyone's hand. You have every single right to decide who touches your body and under what context. And it's this also just highlights so many fucked up things from the 90s where they're just like, just you have to dance. And also, okay, the whole like you have to invite everybody to your birthday party so no one's feelings get hurt i'd just like to point out that's bullshit because i was super bullied when i was a little kid all the time most of my class hated me like openly would tell me daily that they hated me and i was annoying and ugly and fat and all those like standard bullying things right it is so much more uncomfortable to be forced to go to a birthday party yes! of somebody who's been bullying you than it is to just not be invited. Because I went to several, um, and it's just uncomfortable. Too. Like, no one talks to you. No. So it's like, cool, now I'm just going to stand in the corner, and I could have been at home playing with my Barbies in peace. And you don't want to, like, look like an asshole by not going. You know what I right? mean? Like- and especially because... <laughs> I don't know if your parents did this, but I didn't get invited to things very often because I didn't have many friends. So my mom would always be like, oh, a birthday party. You should go. And it's like, no, kids don't have to go to birthday parties if they don't want to. Kids don't have to do any of this. And I think it was that weird, like, participation trophy culture that was happening in the 90s that led to kind of a lot of this, like, well, you have to invite everyone. You have to dance with people. And, like, I don't remember our teachers saying that, like, we would get in any trouble if we didn't dance. But at my fifth grade dance, I do remember being told, like, everybody should dance with everyone. And if somebody asks you, you should dance with them. And it just, like, leading to so many icky situations and just a lack of bodily autonomy. Yeah, that is so problematic. And, again, this is probably the third time I mentioned it, but the directory thing, I completely forgot about that and how violating that is. Right? We actually, um, we got 
like special permission to take ours out oh good because my mom didn't want our stuff in there so we actually she fought the school on it so i think it had our phone number but not our address because we were allowed to elect out of that after a while right but it is weird how easy it used to be to find people's ad i mean and technically like if you're a homeowner people can still find your address online yeah that's the shitty part which is so creepy (laughs) about the internet because i I don't know. know about you guys but i don't like people knowing where i live not at all it's a mystery Um, only my my neighbors and family know that and friends you've been here so you know where i live but pretty much it yeah right people don't need to know oh my gosh and then the last thing that i want to mention about this um that i was thinking is that you know the scroll really like they messed up they may they messed up big and if you're a parent just know that you can advocate for accommodations you absolutely have every right to do that if someone's making your kid feel unsafe you shouldn't be forced to be around them you can absolutely advocate for your kid to switch classes yep absolutely 100 percent. i've seen it happen before Um, i've been part of that before like right i and the thing is like if your kid is having problems with another kid if your kid is seeing a therapist, ask the therapist to write a note to the yep. school if they're willing to, and if your child's willing to have the fact that they're in therapy known to the school. Because we can write stuff demonstrating mm-hmm. the psychological impact that it's having on the child to be near this person, and we can provide a research-based logical explanation of why they should switch classes. And unfortunately, sometimes schools don't uh, believe parents sometimes but uh which is terrible which is shitty and they should but like i were i have written so many notes to school for so many different things that it's just like this is a this is a reasonable accommodation for a mental illness which qualifies as a disability under the americans with disabilities act and here's why you are legally obligated to do this for the family done like basically don't make this a legal problem because they have every right to make it a legal problem they could sue you so do you want to be sued no you don't okay do the thing that wasn't that hard yep this is it's so fine people will advocate for you yeah we got you if your child is being stalked make their teachers listen to this episode yeah (laughs) this is rather long (laughs) this this is really just one thing all right okay go ahead my experience wasn't a severe one thankfully maybe you can't even technically qualify it as stalking i'm not sure i left that in because again it's demonstrating the like was i even stalked psychological phenomenon that can happen especially when you compare it to some of the other situations where it's like oh it's not as bad um i had broken up with my sexually abusive boyfriend he knew my class schedule at our community college and at the the lot where i usually parked sometimes he would wait for me outside my classroom or i'd find him waiting by my car when i got out he desperately wanted me to get back together with him he never did anything violent when i encountered him always just wanted to talk once a friend of mine escorted him out of the building for me when i texted her he was outside of my class Unbeknownst to me, one of my brothers once came to my school and waited outside my classroom to confront him if he came around. My dad came once, too. I changed where I parked, changed how I walked to class, changed my phone number and my email, locked him out of my Facebook. I don't remember how long it took before he finally left me alone. A month? Maybe two? Minor in the grand scheme of things, but obviously an emotionally stressful experience. 
Okay, so this that's stalking. 1,000% is 100,000% stalking. Um, and it's like, I get that doubt, though, especially when you break up with an abusive person. Like, they have, they often have manipulated you, and there is this control thing that can happen where they're like, but I love you, maybe it's not that bad. And even if they right. don't, like, physically assault you... Waiting outside your class, following you, all of that stuff is absolutely stalking. Right. And even just, like, the behaviors that you took of, like, changing where you park, blocking, changed your phone number and your email. Like, that all points to something is very wrong if I have to change all these aspects of my life. Mm-hmm. Right. And even... How many people have you had to block off of your social media? A few. A few. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. It's like that whole thing of like, a lot of people think that they haven't been stalked, but have had to block people on social media because they wouldn't stop messaging them and doing mm-hmm. a bunch of creepy stuff. So yeah. it, again, there's a whole spectrum of stalking experiences and like, thankfully in a lot like, it's good when it doesn't escalate to physical violence, but that doesn't mean it's not stalking. Like, it still is. It's still a range counts. under it. And I could understand for her, and obviously people in... Actually, I don't know if this is what gender this is. Um, but for this person, um, I, clearly people in their life saw it as problematic, too, because they were stepping in and trying to protect them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, again, shout out to all the people who believe victims and who support them, family or bus drivers or anyone who sees something wrong and does something about it. Because, obviously, people should listen when you say no and break up with them. People should listen and we should never have to, you know, no is a complete sentence. We should never have to rely on other people to step in and help. Yep. But it's always so good when they do because sometimes it does seem like show of force can be important to get this behavior to stop. Great. So this one, I'm just gonna warn you, Lauren. This one's fucking rough. Okay. I can re- I can read it if you'd prefer. No, it's it's okay. You guys okay. are just getting my reactions in real time. So <laughs> I read these ahead of time. My reactions were very similar to Lauren's yeah. when I first read them, but I've read them a few times for editing's sake, so Okay. I'm Here still horrified. Alright. The shortest possible version of a very lengthy backstory is this. A kid and I moved across the country a little over wait. A kid and I? I believe this person has a child. So them oh, and their kid moved. Them and their kid. Yeah. Moved across the country a little over two years ago to escape a violent situation. We crash landed all the way up here. And and the one DV agency that would consider our situation for shelter and started over. I was careful. I did everything right. To clarify, there is no right way to survive. And resources for survivors are grossly limited. But I digress. We stayed as far off the grid as possible until I could petition for legal name changes for both with the requirement for publication waived and had them sealed. I made sure my child was protected at a school in a district that understood the situation. I secured safe housing and employment and got us both into therapy. Awesome. And for a while, things were stable. We thrived. Winter was effing cold. (laughs) Spring was... (laughs) Yeah. Spring was magnificent. 
Metaphorically, we bloomed. Yada yada. Everything changed in late October. I'm not sure how, after 18 months of no contact or logical connection, I was located, but he found me, and it was ugly. I survived. Got a rape kit, reported it, moved us, got into an address confidentiality program, and also fired a CNCO. Getting the plenary order was an ordeal itself because they have no knowledge of a date of birth or last known address on my assailant, therefore no way to get proof of service. Mm-hmm. Never mind the fact that I have no idea where he is. He's from out of state. Obviously, we know that. And the police know he is now who he is now, but won't relay that info to me. Yikes. Anyway, law enforcement up here listened to me and began an investigation. I was able to identify his photo in a lineup for the first time ever back in January. Basically, on the information about him I did have, they were able to arrange the lineup and finally confirmed his identity. Wow. They found he has at least one known alias and at least 11 last known addresses in two states. Coordinated efforts between states to physically locate him have been pretty non-existent since the lineup. By March, they was chasing what the last lead my local detective was chasing when coronavirus blessed everything with a shutdown okay in our new apartment in the pandemic some traumatic song and dance same traumatic song and dance only this time he must have broken in while i'd been out running an errand because the door was still locked when i came home but he was already inside oh my god yeah i'm eternally grateful that my daughter was at our one family friend's house the only other place she had been throughout quarantine because I was on call for work or she would have been there as well. When I was able, I called 911 for the first time in my life. Police came right away and I went by ambulance to the ER. One of the first coherent things I said to the responding officers was to call the detectives working on the October case. I had hurt. I had a head injury and knew I wouldn't be able to give the full background to them. Oh my god, that fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. But the previous case had already filed filled them in thanks to to pandemic restrictions at the hospital the rape kit was its own unique flavor of hard to get through no advocate or support persons allowed oh my god just me a nurse a cop and a complete inability to read anyone's facial expressions due to the mass oh my god my heart is like breaking right but that's its own thing to process in therapy both kids are currently at the lab being processed on covid time I'm working with the, the two police departments as well as the special investigator with the state's attorney office. Though thankfully they're all working jointly and sharing information with the singular goal of locating him. It's overwhelming to have a team working with me and it's hard to still feel stuck. So here I am, staying alive, holding out hope that the police will manage to locate one evasive person among millions from across the country in a pandemic. While painfully aware, we are still... We still know next to nothing of how he's been locating us, and that if it keeps it keeps to pattern, it's likely going to happen again. That's not an if, it's a when. And with the state we moved from facing a rapid resurgence of COVID shutting back down, and with each week that goes by with little to no progress on either case due to lack of communication, my hope that is that it will be over once and for all is dwindling. That's not even taking the fallibility of the judicial system or current political unrest into account i could write my own novel about how desperate and conflicted i am navigating this entire process oh holy shit yeah that's heavy that is um well i mean 
first of all, thank you to this person for even being open to us sharing this. Um, I just, I am so sorry for this person that they had mm-hmm. to go through this. I cannot imagine the lack of safety this person is going through. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like at the beginning when they were describing their mood, I mean, they're right. Like, they did everything that you could have possibly done to protect yourself and still this person found them and is doing this and mm-hmm. oh, it's so disgusting and this is one of those things that you hear so much when you're talking about victims of crimes is like did they do this did they do this did they do this were they the right victim did they do everything they could have And we need to stop doing that because, number one, it's offensive. Number two, people can do everything, quote, right. Right. And still have this happen. Exactly. That's why this this is so important to share. Because they have done everything they can possibly do. And this person is still finding them. Um, I'm definitely, I'm going to, there's going to be some weird cuts in this one because I, I missed a couple things about what state they're in and everything. So I'm going to go ahead and edit that out. So sorry for any jumpy cuts there. I'm editing oh. out some location information just because I We want to protect them. Because we want to protect them. And um, this person has openly shared this information in um, certain places and has updated ever. They are okay at this point okay. that we have heard from them more recently um but yeah they're they're kind of updating it's there's a group situation of trying to brainstorm and trying to figure out um use the hive mind to see if anyone can help um but this one is just tragic and this one is just you know there are so many good things to do that can help and they do help but it's kind of impossible to reduce reduce your risk to zero percent. And I, I hope that this person and their child are able to find safety somewhere and to find somewhere and, you know, find this guy and find somewhere that they're going to be okay because that is... That's a rough way to live. And I'm glad yeah. they're processing it in therapy and are admitting they have a therapist and everything. Yeah. And, so I was going to say, like, maybe we should, like, reach out or I don't know. But, like, mm-hmm. and I, I can't help but, like, cry reading this because, yeah. like, especially, like, that one part where she's, I, again, I don't want to gender this person because I don't know what their gender is. Um, but where they're talking about the ER experience, like, mm-hmm. I used to do medical advocacy where we would come in and talk to people um, as they're getting their rape kits done. and And I remember just like the lack of like empathy and like the coldness of that process and just like how grateful I was that I could like be there to like support somebody as they're going through that because it's so traumatizing and the fact that like this person had no one there no Mm -hmm. one was allowed to be there no one gave her resources no one stepped in if like a cop was being too pushy Mm -hmm. or give her a second to read and actually comprehend and understand what she was signing like that's a fucked up situation right my heart just goes out to them and i mean you know it does sound from other interactions that i've had that they do have resources and they are well handled in that aspect yeah but just needing that support person because 
rape kits are brutal to get done yeah. and they are forensically very important to do yeah but if you have been assaulted and then you you know have to be there naked in front of doctors and police officers who are then inspecting your genitals to make to look for evidence it is a brutal thing to have to get done um and and people really need support during those moments um to get it done i've um yeah, I never worked with that, but I have gone with kids to medical exams before. Um, yeah. Because kids need, if you're prepubescent, you can't get, you can get a, a kit done in the hospital, but it has to be done by somebody who is tr- uh, certified. Very specific. A pediatric sane um, in the entire state of Illinois. There are 11 people who can do examinations on minors 11 people for the entire state yeah so it's hard to find them um i've never been in the room but i've been there kind of talking and supporting and it's just like it's a difficult thing to go through and it's rough because like okay first of all and i don't mean to like go on like a tangent about this but i feel like it's important like having an advocate there is important for a number of reasons one you're not in the headspace that you're normally in. And they're asking you to repeat a bunch of things. And they're asking you to sign a bunch of things. And you need someone there who's totally present to be like, are you sure you're okay with this? Do you understand that when you sign this, this is like what's going to happen? Um, you know, do you understand that they're going to take your clothes and you may not get them back? Do you need me to call somebody to have them bring you like sweatpants? You know, like just very mm-hmm. simple stuff like that. And then the other part of it is I have been in the hospital so many times where police officers are, like, interrogating, you know, while they're getting, like, the kit done or just asking inappropriate questions or even medical professionals are being Mm -hmm. super pushy where I've had to literally insert myself and say, excuse me, like, they're allowed to ask for a minute before you continue with this process. Like, please give them a second. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, as somebody who conducted interviews for the police and DCFS and has done them, um, and, you know, I don't want to get too into anything with, you know, police and everything, but I, 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 I think the police are at times doing jobs they shouldn't be doing. And I don't believe that the police should interview victims. Um, across the board, you know, we have children's advocacy centers so that child victims, um, and victims with developmental disabilities aren't interviewed by the police, but I, I think there's a huge benefit to having somebody who is trained in interviewing techniques, but is also trained in the mental health field do it, because there's a way to get information for an investigation that doesn't traumatize someone, and that acknowledges their emotions and lets them speak their piece and say what they need to say. Um, And I've had to tell police to back down on things so many times. And I've had police tell me like, oh, this person's not going to talk to you. And then they do because I'm not a police officer. And I'm like, and they're like, what's going to happen? Are you going to arrest him? I'm like, well, first of all, I will arrest nobody ever because I'm not a police officer. (laughs) That's not my job. Like, I'm just here to talk to you. That's my whole piece. And I think it's a model that should be seriously considered, especially if you're looking at a woman who's, or man, or person, person 
who has been sexually assaulted and is in a hospital, they don't need to be talking to the police in the middle of their rape kit. Um, And also, for knowledge, at least in Illinois, I don't know about, I can't speak to legislature in other states or other countries, but you can get a rape kit done and then decide if you want to press charges later. You can still do the evidence collecting part without pressing charges. You have time to do that. Because sometimes you do need time to think it over, because especially if you have a head injury and you're in the ER, like, you're not thinking through long-term implications of everything. So, um, because it is a big decision and, like, this person is talking about the fallibility of the legal system. Right. And if you have a head injury and people are asking you questions, the reality of it is whatever is documented can be used in court so they can Mm -hmm. use against that against you in court if let's say you mess up your timeline or you know whatever defense can and will use whatever they can think of to uh get you to catch you i know lauren have you had to testify in court before i have and i hated it so much i cannot tell you right yeah, it's defense will go after whatever they can think of, whether you're an expert, a witness, a victim, like they they'll try to find something because um, it's their it job. Gross. But yeah, it is. It's stressful and it's difficult. And so there's lots of problems in the legal system, which I'm sure we could go off on for forever. Yes. <laughs> but again, you know, to the people that wrote in, um, again, we are honored we thank you. These um, these stories are important, and I think a lot of people will find validation in healing and probably think of experiences that, you know, they didn't realize qualified as stalking before, um, and hopefully it creates some healing. Yeah, hopefully, and um, yeah, thank you. We're really honored that you guys decided to share with us um, to express it, and I'm glad that we're able to provide a platform for people to share their stories. Um, if you've been a victim of any crime or anything and you feel like your short story you would like to be shared, share it with us and we'll come up with some way to do, um, to get An it educational, out there yeah. for you. I mean, I think we're pretty open to that because as much as we can talk about the psychological factors and we can talk about, like I did before, all of the list of impact, but... It's different to hear it from people who have actually been through it, and I think that that's a gap that a lot of true crime or crime-related podcasts are missing, is direct from victim stories and the direct impact. Um, And we, you know, we're we're hoping the best for all of you. And... Yeah. Uh, Sending you all big love. Big hugs and love. (laughs) But the hugs only if you want them. Yeah, only if you would like one. If They're not, socially, I'll, I'll hug myself. <laughs> they are socially distant via a podcast hugs. You cannot yes. get COVID from them. Um, but you can refuse them if you want. But we love you all and we are sending, you know, positive energy and good hopes and good vibes your way that whatever, that it, these situations, especially for the last writer, that some resolution happens that leads to them yeah. and their child being safe. Because that's the most important thing. And yeah, hopefully, however it works out, it works out quickly. Very, Agreed. very quickly. Agreed. All right. So 
I guess just to kind of transition over to some well-known cases, because um, these are important too. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but Stephen King has been stalked a lot. Stephen King, uh, one of my favorite authors, actually. That's why I picked it. Despite the fact that, I've, that people hate him on the men writing women a lot of the pages because he writes some weird stuff about women but usually through the eyes of really creepy men so you know what I'm, I'm gonna give it a pass I like Stephen King and I'm not ashamed to admit it I like him too and spooky season is around the corner so we're, I thought this would be good we're beginning to feel spooky guys so throwing this out there so I'm gonna tell you just a few instances where Stephen King experienced some stalking um, so in 1991 also the year I was born. Um, <laughs> Me too, just in case yeah. anyone was wondering. 91 babies. <laughs> yes. Um, there was a fellow named Eric Keene, and he was 26 from Texas. In this scenario, Keene smashed a window and clamored, I like that word, I do inside <laughs> the King house uh, with a fake bomb in his pocket. Okay. Intense. T- intense. Tabitha King, which is Stephen King's wife, was home alone. Which, Tabitha, like, that is horrifying. She ran, so she ran to a neighbor's house and called the police. He broke into the house because Stephen King allegedly stole the plot for his bestseller, Misery, from King's aunt. So, Wilkes, the baby murdering former nurse, turned out to have a lot in common with King's aunt. Janine Jones, who was also a baby murdering former nurse from Texas. He also apparently tried to sell Stephen King on a Misery 2 pitch, which like the timing could not be worse for that. So, yeah. So very interesting. Um, So with this fellow, he was sentenced to two years with all but 127 days suspended after pleading guilty to burglary. Mm. So that's just one. The next one it also gets into so much of the legal system where it's like you get two years, but you're only going to spend like a couple months in jail. Yep. Love that. Yeah. So get this. The next year, police <laughs> served a California man with a protection from harassment order when he arrived in Bangor, which is a city in Maine. Um, Stephen Lightfoot, then 28, of San Francisco, claimed to have discerned through coded message that Stephen King killed John Lennon. Also, I just want to point out that the website on that theory is hands down the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, because I did stumble upon Stephen King killing John Le- John Lennon in our conspiracy theories video. Yep. So we do not support Stephen Lightfoot. No. Because he broke in and is a stalker. However, the theory itself is, uh, if you want to do a deep dive into a website that is the... I I don't even know the words to describe it. Because the coded messages are all through newspaper headlines. It's it's worth a... I think the theory itself is worth a look. Um, I do not believe that Stephen King had anything to do with John Lennon's death whatsoever. No. But I digress. Um, in 2003, so shortly thereafter, there was a man from Georgia named Brestilov Burris. 
who was 38. Bratislav. So is that how you say it? I think Bratislav. Okay. So Burris. <laughs> Let's was, just call him Burris. That's fine. Yeah. Was an illegal immigrant from the Czech Republic. Um, so what this fellow did was he left two notes in King's mailbox saying that he wanted to talk with him. The court records show that one of the notes read, Help me, my dear king, please. Breslav Burris. I'm driving time to time around your house. I am checked so you can put a flag on the house to invite me. So, not totally clear um, what was going on there. Okay. So, according to court records, King's wife, Tabitha. Again, Tabitha, I'm so <laughs> sorry you had to deal with this. involved with this. Ah. Uh, she saw the man outside the house about noon on the Sunday that he was there. She told her husband, Stephen King, who went outside to see what he wanted. Burris said he wanted to talk to King and suggested they go inside because it would take some time, which polite but strange, <laughs> which prompted King to tell Burris to leave or else King would call the police. And then he did. I mean, that's um, also weirdly polite of Stephen King to just be like, yeah, I'll go outside to see what this person wants. Also, I'm just going to point this out because I've seen so many people do this. Stop taking pictures outside of Stephen King's house. Like, leave Stop him it. alone. That's one of the things with celebrities. Like, yes, we can figure out where they live. And yes, their houses are nicer than ours. And we're all a little bit upset about it. Especially when we're quarantined at home. Nonetheless, stop going to their houses. Like, just because you know where it is. It's because I've seen so many people who have gone to Maine. Like, just people I know on Facebook, like, taking selfies at the gates outside of his house. Like, I'm at Stephen King's house. And it's like, it's, it's not, like... Just leave him alone. Let him leave him alone. Like and poor Tabitha. Like I can't (laughs) imagine being her dealing with these people. Yeah, and just being like, oh, this again, another stalker. That's intense. Like no one deserves to go through that shit. That's bizarre, especially like breaking in with a fake bomb. Like, are you kidding me? Yep. Anyway, so that was Stephen King. (laughs) Just an overview of Stephen King's stalking history. So. I'm just gonna roll us back to real depressing. We're oh, just good. we're just gonna go right back there. Um, so this, so in California, in January first of nineteen ninety nine. So <laughs> we were eight at the time. Great. Wonderful time. Um, so basically. California was the first state to make cyber stalking or online stalking illegal in the United States. It is January 1st, 1999. And this is the first cyber stalking case that was charged. Ooh. And it's horrifying. Okay. So, there was this guy, Gary Delapenta. He was a 50 year old security guard. And he met a woman Let's see if i can find her it her name is uh not public i was just checking um nonetheless so he met a young lady at church and he decided he liked this young lady quite a bit and she did not like him so he repeatedly tried to woo her And uh, she was not about it. She constantly said no, spurred his advances, was very, very clear that 
you know, he sent her flowers and cards. She repeatedly rebuffed him, even did so in a written letter. Um, <laughs> and the advances became so aggressive that she went to her church's elders, which is in a lot of churches, if you have a problem with someone else in the church that keeps escalating and you can't resolve it to yourself, you go to the elders, um, who granted her request to ban him from the congregation. So he was so aggressive that a church told him he wasn't allowed to come anymore. Yep. Which, it takes a lot for your church to kick you out. So, after that... Della Penta, you know, was thinking of creative things he could do, and he decided to create fake email accounts under her name. Oh my god. And go to a bunch of, um, you know, extremist websites and personal ads to basically describe this woman's fantasies of being raped, correspond with men, and provide them her address to engage in her rape and gangbang fantasies. The email says that the woman was into rape fantasy gangbangs, um, and they had given numerous men the address to her apartment, physical description, her phone number, and how to bypass her home security system. What the hell? Yeah. Six different men showed up at her apartment <gasps> in a five-month period. All of them, she did not end up getting raped. All of the men who came did listen to her when she got upset oh, and were like, no, like, I don't, this keeps happening. Um, so these are, these are men who believed they were corresponding with a woman who had agreed to a consensual thing. And when they found out it was not actually her and not a consensual thing, they did back off. Thank God. Oh so, my God. at least those men, while engaging, like we said in our um, paraphilic disorders episodes, some people have fantasies that you can do consensually, and that's very different. So, these men were going to participate in something they thought was a fun, light thing. Um, so, one man actually did anonymously speak about this one of the men who came said he stopped by her apartment once she wasn't home he left a message on her answering machine she called back i talked to her and her father he said uh she said this was not the first time it happened and she was pretty upset so literally like she wasn't home so they left her a voicemail and she's like stop and they're like okay so it luckily um good these men did stop when they found out what was actually happening um and to like show how ridiculous this is she didn't even own a computer she didn't even have an email address so she like had no idea what was happening because all these men were corresponding with her via email she didn't even have an email because back in 99 a lot like not everybody did it wasn't as much of a thing so like she didn't even have a computer um so I kind of put this way out of order um so, authorities said that these were not her ads, her emails, or her fantasies. She was the victim of this security guard who was ordered to stand trial on um, charges of stalking, computer fraud, and solicitation of sexual assault. Okay. Um, so, just making sure. Um, and he ended up pleading guilty. Um, to charges that he used the internet to try to convince others to rape a woman. Um, he faced a maximum sentence of six years in prison. 
That's it. That's it. Um. Let me see. So he's he's out there now. Just yeah. Part of society. I'm trying to see if I can find how much he actually served. Ugh, I'm scared. So yeah, he was sentenced to six years. I'm guessing two. Yeah, and I'm... I'm not finding anything about how... What it is. It's kind of weird looking at... Um, these are all, like, articles from... Oh, that's a law journal. So this was a lot because it was such a landmarking case. It was the first mm-hmm. cyber stalking case. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of like law journals and a lot of articles from the 90s because it was literally, he got charged with this three weeks after the law got passed. Wow. So it was like they passed the law, luckily in time, but like these laws to protect people have not been around for very long at all. You guys, this is crazy. I think this is the most depressing episode we've ever done. Yes, I've never, like, actively cried during an episode Yeah, I know. I know. Um, I cried when I read some of them for the first time. Yeah. Oh, guys, this is so important. I, you know, as depressing as it is, like, I'm really happy that we talked about it. Me too. Um, I feel like it's really important, actually. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, all of this, it's it's traumatizing, and it can have mm-hmm. such a big effect on your life. Um, but, you know, treatment from good providers who know what they're doing and are empathetic and yep. validate all of your feelings can be really helpful. Agreed. I mean, I don't know about you, Megan. Have you worked with stalking survivors mm-hmm. before? Yes, I have. Yeah, same. <laughs> it's sad, but it's, like, very common. Yeah. I mean, it is really common. Well, maybe some good shit. Maybe Um. some good shit. I have something, actually. Tell me. (laughs) There is a YouTube channel that we have recently discovered, um, and it's called... Let me just double check and make sure I'm telling you the right thing. Okay. It's called Ordinary Sausage. Okay. And the entire thing, this guy, just his YouTube channel of really, really short videos of him making things that should not be sausage into sausage and then ranking them. Great. So how good of a sausage they are. So he literally, like, he has an episode where he just puts mixed nuts in a sausage. He puts, like, a whole Big Mac into sausage. He does the most ridiculous things and just, uh, it's really funny, and he just makes stuff into sausage and then ranks it on if it's good sausage or not. And, uh, it's dumb and it's wonderful, and I love it. I love that. that that's very wholesome. There's one where he just makes, like, a block of cheese into sausage, and it's so funny, because he's just like, it's like you put a lukewarm block of sausage into a bun. It's like, Perfect. great! <laughs> Lovely. So it's uh it's pretty wholesome, pretty good stuff. Amazing. Um trying to think of some good shit going on with me. Uh or just the world. Well one of my besties got engaged, so congrats. 
congrats. Murray. One of my besties got engaged, too. I saw that, too. Congrats to you. So, congrats to Mary and what's Mary and Mary's fiance and Sam. Jake. And Mary and Jake and Sam and Anna. We're so, sweet. so happy for everyone. Getting married. Um, so, that's cool. And then my... <laughs> I'll just share this because I think it's funny. Um, so I'm on Coumadin, the blood thinner. I love yesterday... that you're sharing this because this is magnificent. <laughs> it's a blood thinner. Um, so I, I recently switched from like one blood thinner to another one. So I have to like set timers to remind myself like how much to take and to do it at night. And so yesterday um, I made the decision to switch my timer tone to the song Raining Blood this later. <laughs> Yes, and I love that you've done that. I hope that uh, the blood thinners don't cause you to rain blood. I think that would be too much blood thinners. Yes, too much blood, too thin of blood. Too thin of blood. So yeah, just good stuff all around. You know, you gotta find the little things. You do. Sometimes we went on a, a little mini golf date yesterday. It was pretty fun. I love it. Also, guys, like, go on dates to mini golf because it's outdoors and also it's like $12. Yeah. It's cost effective fun in the outdoors. And drive ins are making a comeback. Drive ins are making a comeback, which I'm pretty excited about. Have you been to a lot of drive ins? No, but I want to. I've been to one and it was pretty magnificent. Love that. Alright guys, well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, be sure to become a patron if you feel so inclined. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find us on Facebook facebook.com slash spooky psychology St. Charles if you want to follow us there. We do have Instagram, so mine is Lauren underscore Malika M-O-L-L-I-C-A L-M-F-T and Megan's is Megan Baker L-C-S-W so follow us there. Follow, follow us. along. Did you listen all the way to the end of our last episode? No. Because it's so funny because I'm trying to wrap it up. Our oh, last I episode was that. filmed on the day that Zoom was crashing all the time. And yep. so it crashed. So I, I ended it on my own and I forgot the underscore and then like went back and was re explained. So it's just like this really awkward like, I think this is Lawrence. <laughs> I'm not confident though. It may or may it. not be. Um, Beautiful. But Lauren knows. So I believe yes. her information. Um, so, yeah, if you, you know, have stories you want to share, feedback, questions, just let us know. Yeah. And stay spooky. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.